tell me, what more could I have done? Tell me, what more could I have done to help them understand? What more could I have done to help that process go well? What more could I have done to make that project, to make that idea, to make that commitment, to make that dream, to make that relationship work? What more could I have done? Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? This is the sentiment we find living large in the heart of God in Isaiah chapter 5. This section of Isaiah is known as the Song of the Vineyard, and it has kind of a surprising twist to it that we don't see coming that is actually pretty intriguing. It begins Sinatra-like, leading us to believe we're going to hear a gushing love song about God's beloved, the vineyard. But... After wooing you in, quickly turns into something more akin to a Taylor Swift breakup song, which we're okay with as long as it doesn't affect our football season. But in this breakup song, thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs> in this breakup song, God is the beloved. God is the beloved and God is the frustrated one. God is the one that chose to plant a vineyard and God did not do this haphazardly. Instead, God chose the best land. And God chose the best part of the best land for growing a vineyard. And then God worked hard and used the best planting methods and organic fertilizer and sustainable practices and the best tools. And in light of all of this, God and everyone else expected that this vineyard was going to be pretty special. And yet, instead of yielding good, tasty grapes... It yielded stinky, wild, rotten ones. In fact, the whole vineyard ended up in such a bad spot that at the end of all of God's good work, the land looked as if no work had been done at all, which leads the beloved to ask this question over and over and over again about the vineyard, about Israel. What more was there to do for my people this vineyard then I could have done it. When I expected it to yield good grapes, why did it yield rotten ones? Have any of you lived life long enough to have experienced a feeling like that? Have any of you been through enough seasons of life, enough difficulties, enough trials to have experienced something like that in your own life? Perhaps... Your vision for the future always included a certain kind of family. It always included a certain kind of marriage. It always included a certain number of kids, a certain number of pets, a certain kind of life. But as life has unfolded, things just haven't worked out the way you've imagined. Have you experienced anything like that? Is there a dream you're not sure will ever be a reality? Is there a reality that feels a lot more now like a broken dream? Or perhaps you've lost someone close to you, someone that you love deeply, and you just didn't see it coming. 
And you're certain it shouldn't have come. And in the aftermath of all of that, you can't help but wonder or even cry out, why? Why? Why is it that when I expected this path, this dream, this life to yield good grapes, it has yielded these rotten ones? Life is like that. And what's interesting is that what we see here in Isaiah 5 is that sometimes life is even like that for God too. Right here in Isaiah chapter 5 in the song of the vineyard, the God of the universe is saying, I did everything right. In every way that I needed to, I set these people up to succeed to be the people who would bring justice and righteousness in this world. And yet, why is it that when I sow justice, I have reaped only bloodshed? And why is it that when I have sowed righteousness, I have reaped cries of distress? Such high expectations met with so many disappointments. God did so much good work and reaped so little yield. Why is it that when I expected good grapes, I yielded only rotten ones? Have you experienced anything like that? Why is it that when I spent all of these years preparing for a certain kind of retirement, I've had to accept another kind? Why is it that even though I invested so much good work in this business, it ultimately failed? Why is it that when I worked so hard for that promotion, someone else got it instead? Why is it that their work seems to always be rewarded and my work seems to always be thwarted? Why is it that even though I continued to extend patience and kindness and generosity to that acquaintance, to that employee, to that friend, to that family member, it continues to be met again and again and again with slander, spite, and reactivity. Why, when I invested so much love and devotion in this friendship, did it ultimately dissolve into bickering and envy? Why is it that when I expected after all of that good work to yield good grapes, I yielded only wild ones? Why? These are the kinds of questions, by the way, that in life prompt us to seek out people like Stephen ministers. And these are the kinds of questions that there are often no clear answers to. And even still, the song of the vineyard tells us that the God who made us and redeems us understands these struggles because God has felt them too. And you know, sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it's enough just to know that someone is with us and someone understands, and that is why trusted friends and coaches and counselors and Stephen ministers can be so helpful. And that is why the gospel message that God is with us is so powerful. So perhaps that is enough, 
But yet, even when it is, it doesn't mean it has to be where our story ultimately ends because what the gospel is always inviting us to is not just enough, but we talked about this last week, more than enough. And because God has given us gospel tools, we can help to bring about that more than enough in the lives of one another. After all, In so many of these frustrating situations that we're thinking about now, aren't we often also the frustrating ones? Aren't we often the ones who are disappointing one another? Aren't we also often the ones frustrating each other's expectations? Aren't we the ones sometimes hindering growth and reconciliation? The wild grapes of God are essentially us. It's us. We're the problem. It's us. And the wild grapes we wrestle with in our lives are often coming to us from each other. But, but, God has given us a choice tool that we can use to bring about choice wine out of this stinky fruit. Do you know what it is? It's grace. The grace that was displayed most fully in the one we might have expected to have been crowned but was instead crucified. The grace of the one who said, forgive them for they know not what they do. The grace of the one who made a way for us to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. The grace that we know when we give it and when we receive it sometimes stings. It's that grace that God has given us to use in practice. In her book, Accidental Saints, Nadia Boltz Weber offers a story about what this kind of grace might look like in community, in communities like this even, when things don't quite go our way. Nadia recalls a time when her speaking schedule as a pastor was picking up and her congregation knew this and they said, one of the couples, Jeff and Tracy, said, we want to get on our celebrity pastor's uh, calendar and we've just gotten engaged. We're so excited about this. And so we want to put our fall wedding on your calendar, which is actually over 18 months from now. Can we do this? She said, yeah, my calendar right there, my calendar is clear, and and they were excited about this. But then later, Nadia realized that she had made a mistake. Because a conference that was going on in Australia, the leaders of that conference, people had reached out to her and said, hey, can you, over this two-week period, can you come to Australia and be the keynote speaker for this conference? And she said yes, and then later realized about six months down the road that it was during this wedding. It was during this wedding. And so she emailed the people in Australia saying, hey, can, can, can you move it? I'll give up my speaking fee if you, can, if you can move this to another time. But they'd already spent $10,000 on a venue, so they, they couldn't move it. And then she talked to the couple and said, you know, could, could, you, could you move the wedding perhaps? And they said, well, actually, so many of our family members and friends have spent a lot of money to be there at that exact time already. And, and could, could somebody else? No, they wanted me. Everybody wanted me, she said. It was a mess. She felt terrible. Nadia writes this. It's my practice to welcome new people to the church 
by making sure they know that at some point we will let them down. That I will say or do something stupid and disappoint them. And then I encourage them to decide before that happens if they will stick around after that happens. Greg, we need to add that to connections. If they leave, though, I tell them this, they will miss the way that God's grace comes in and fills in the cracks left behind by our brokenness. And that, my friends, she says, is too beautiful to miss. This is that time, isn't it? Tracy asked. Huh? When you say or do something stupid and disappoint us, this is that time, right? Oh yeah, I think so. Nadia says, I was dying. I hadn't remembered that. I mean, I said it so many times, but the truth is, I would still rather be good than make a mistake and receive grace. The next morning, I awoke to this email from Tracy. Dear Pastor Nadia, Jeff and I release you from the commitment to do our wedding. As much as this is painful, we understand why our pastor needs to be in Australia. We love you, and we forgive you. We love you, and we forgive you. That opened the floodgates, she said. So many tears were cried after that because she said, I needed to be set free. I needed someone to say, let the plates drop. Later, as I sat and told my friend Jane this story, one of many stories of grace shared over the course of years, she said, Nadia, you've preached it for so long, and yet you were afraid to have to need it. And she was right. It was as if all those sermons I'd preached had slowly built Jeff and Tracy into a grace silo for their own pastor. And in the moment when what I needed was love and grace and forgiveness, when what I try to preach to others is what I needed, they had enough to share, even though I had disappointed them. And the thing about grace, real grace, she says, is that it stings. It stings because if it's real, we know we don't deserve it. And grace is basically the best terrible feeling in the world. The sting of grace is not unlike the sting of being loved well, because when we are loved well, it is inextricably linked to all the times we have not been loved well. All the times we ourselves have not loved others well, and all the things we have done or not done that feel like evidence against our own worthiness. Love and grace are such deceivingly soft words, Nadia says. But they both sting so badly. And then they go on and change the shape of our hearts and make us into something we could never create ourselves to be. You know, friends, and sometimes, in spite of all of our good efforts for good things, we fall short. What more could I have done, we cry. And in response, every single time, the Gospel says that Jesus is with us. And that is grace. 
And sometimes, sometimes in spite of all of our screw-ups, sometimes in spite of all of the things we've done and left undone, sometimes in spite of our very worst efforts, we are met with goodness and forgiveness and understanding and compassion and love. And this too is the gospel. This too is grace. It's a stinging grace because we know that without a shadow of a doubt, we don't deserve it. It is, as Nadia said, the best terrible feeling in the world. May God make us people who learn well how to give and receive and live into that kind of grace. Amen.